It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and happy Thanksgiving week. Welcome to Locked On Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. This show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, or you can simply ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings to go right to the most recent episode. And today, we don't have a Vikings game to break down. They were all on by, on vacation, hanging out while we watched some goings-on around the NFC. A quick update, though, on the things that happened over the bye week, because playoff position is starting to kind of heat up, and it's a little bit, you know, scoreboard watching season. There were really two games uh, that mattered to the Vikings right now, if you assume that all of the other wild card hopefuls have pretty much fallen away, like the Panthers and the Rams and whoever loses the NFC East, you know, all those teams are kind of uh, two or three games back from the Vikings at this point who are in the sixth seed fairly comfortably. So, you know, wiping all those guys out, sorting all those guys away, you're really watching uh, Panthers Saints. The Saints won on a last second field goal, 34 to 31, and the Packers 49ers game where the 49ers just undressed the Green Bay Packers on national television. I enjoyed watching it quite a bit. I think 37 to 8 was the final score of that one. And so there's, like, not a lot of movement, right? San Francisco and New Orleans stay in pole position for the first round bye, the ever-important bye and home field advantage in the divisional round. Uh, The Packers are still in the third seed. The Cowboys lost to the Patriots. Uh, But the Packers, taking that loss, are now tied at 8-3 with the Minnesota Vikings. So these last five games are going to decide it all. Consider everybody 0-0 and let's go play. At this particular juncture, probably all of the teams are, are decided Uh, You know, you have the 49ers, New Orleans, Packers, Cowboys, uh, Vikings, and Seahawks. And it's just kind of a matter of who wins the divisions and, uh, you know, where everybody else ends up sorted out. Of course, the Cowboys could be replaced with uh, Philadelphia. That's obviously one that's up for grabs. Uh, But either way, that team's going to be in the fourth seed. And so if you're the fifth seed, you get to play them. So not all the cards that the Vikings end up with the fifth seed and end up going to the link in uh, another playoff game. That would be kind of interesting. Other than all that stuff, though, uh, it, it was a pretty quiet bye week and nothing crazy went down. Not a lot of injury updates or news to really talk about. The team basically just goes its separate ways and takes a little bit of time off to rest, get healthy, and get prepared for a pretty inc- intense final five games. So in lieu of any more topical stuff to talk about, there is a conversation that's been going on that I kind of want to dive into. Uh, Of course, you know, we're getting down to the point where everybody's starting to argue over their MVP candidates, you know, common names, Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson. I think Dak Prescott should be in that conversation. Of course, you know, guys like Aaron Rodgers are up there every year, though coming off the heels of like his worst game since his rookie year or something like that, uh, that'll probably lose a little steam this week. But after coming back in in the Broncos game, there was a lot of national media attention that started saying, hey, should we start considering Kirk Cousins for this? I mean, you know, looking at his stats and, and a lot of those are box score stats that I don't put a lot of stock into. But if you look at the advanced stats, things like completion, expect, uh, completion percentage over expectation and EPA, the ones that I think are a lot more predictive and do a better job of describing how games go, that also makes a pretty good argument, a pretty similar one to, you know, the the box score stats. 
And uh, while I'm here, just a quick note about the box score stats, especially like total yards. If you've been listening for a while or if you're familiar with uh, my thought on total yards, I, it's, I, I say it all the time that 4,000-yard seasons don't mean anything. Right now, Kirk Cousins hilariously is on pace for 4,008 yards. So aside from being a hilariously close number to like exactly a 4,000-yard season, which would be uh, ripe for some pretty good jokes, that would actually be the lowest 16-game uh, total of his career and uh, his lowest season since 2014 when he only started five games. So depending on uh, what you're trying to confirm, you could take that two directions, right? You could take that and say, oh, maybe he hasn't been that good, which would be the wrong way to take it. Or you could say, oh, maybe yards aren't exactly capturing what goes on on the football field very well. Because in that like EPA, the completion percentage over, expecta- uh, over expectation, in those metrics, he's setting career highs, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. But he's certainly been like at the forefront of the league pretty much all season in those stats. And in fact, if you wanted to construct an MVP argument analytically for Kirk Cousins, you wouldn't have to work very hard to do so. Uh, Ben Baldwin has been tracking this stuff. He's on Twitter. He he writes for The Athletic. He uh, mostly covers the Seahawks, but he also uh, talks about a lot of national stuff, and he kind of is is one of the leaders in the analytic community online. And he has been posting uh, week to week tracking quarterback efficiency by a number of of metrics now there's a lot of options that i like for like which metrics you want to use i'm a fan of qbr i'm a fan of epa those two things are actually very similar qbr is espn's like proprietary statistic and they don't tell you how the sausage is made but it's very closely related to expected points added which is simply a way of assigning a value to every play based on whether or not you became more or less likely to score and then just kind of tallying that up for all of your plays uh, and and all QBR does is it just like adds extra value for like fumbles and sacks and stuff, which probably makes sense and is important. But if it bothers you that it's proprietary, you can go to EPA, get 90% of the same thing and, uh, you know, have a, a lot more certainty as to what you're looking at. There's also one I've mentioned a couple times, completion percentage over expectation, which is exactly what it sounds like. You set an expectation for how often a certain depth of pass should be completed, and it's all, you know, sorted out by uh, actual depth, and then just look at how often you complete it based off of that expectation. And if you complete it more than everybody else is completing it, you're probably playing pretty well at quarterback. And so the one that Baldwin has been kind of using as his staple is a chart comparing those two things because, you know, there are some things that one will measure and the other won't, you know, completion percentage over expectation, of course, like adds a layer of like how difficult have these asks been, you know, have you been asked to complete a bunch of deep passes or are you just checking down? Whereas uh, EPA takes into account some of the weirder things like fumbles and sacks, but sometimes it can get fooled by like a lot of yards after the catch or something like that. So you get kind of a nice cocktail of information uh, with the way that those two balance each other out. And if there is something that one stat is totally missing and and actually that's why, you know, my take about Kirk Cousins is right and that stat is wrong, which is actually a totally fair take. The other one is kind of uh, checking against all that stuff and making sure that there's not some weird fluky thing that we're missing. And right now on that chart, Kirk Cousins looks like the front runner. Right now, the leader in completion percentage over expectation is Drew Brees. Uh, There has actually been a lot of talk amongst the analytics community, and they're kind of trying to figure it out. Uh, But basically that completing a lot of short passes is still very doable. Uh, And because completed, you know, short passes are completed very often, you say 75, I think it's something like 78, 79% of the time. If you complete your short passes 82% of the time, you are getting an advantage there, but it still feels kind of cheap and, and like it's not 
as earned as somebody who is, you know, completing 50% of a really deep pass that the rest of the league only completes 45% of the time. And so they're just kind of trying to figure out, you know, well, should we wait something or what do we do about this? Or is it actually okay? Is this representative? Should Is this actually like a smart thing that we should be representing? Which is all very fun uh, discussion and I really enjoy lurking and watching them talk about it. But suffice it to say that Kirk Cousins has a pretty good argument to be called the most efficient quarterback in football right now. And if you are familiar with the way that I talked about him in the offseason and the way that I've talked about him even at points during this season, that's a really surprising thing to me. And I want to talk about why that is. And I just want to like dive in what's going right here. You know, what what is happening with Kirk Cousins and how can we make sure that we sustain it if we put ourselves in the coach's shoes? But first, I want to talk to you for a minute about Blue Chew. Blue Chew is the very first chewable tablet of its kind. It has the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, you know what we're talking about here, but Blue Chew is a chewable, so it kicks in twice as fast. That means when the moment's right, there's that much less waiting around. It's made right here in the United States, and it ships directly to your door in a nice discreet package so you can skip the pharmacy, skip the waiting, and all that makes it a little bit cheaper, too. Now, whether you're a 60-something who's been married for decades or you're trying to impress a new flame, Blue Chew can help you out. So go to bluechew.com right now. That's blue, B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com right now. Enter promo code Locked On, and they'll let you try it for free. That's bluechew.com. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Locked On Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code Locked in NBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash locked on NBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and a respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. So, okay, we can make an analytical case for Kirk Cousins to be in the MVP conversation, but MVP is a more subjective award, right? It's something that people vote on, and if people are voting differently, that means that there can be differing opinions on this. And hey, that's kind of what makes it fun, right? And there's a lot of, like, unique cases this year that are kind of weird to compare to a a relatively standard quarterback in Kirk Cousins. His style is a lot closer to what we've been used to, where he's, you know, drop pack, pass it, and he he likes rollouts, and he has certain stylistic quirks. But, I mean, he, he put him up next to, like, Lamar Jackson, and he looks like every single quarterback we've seen for the last two decades. Not to mention Russell Wilson, who is also a very improvisational quarterback. He actually reminds me a lot of, like, peak Aaron Rodgers right now in the way that he improvises and gets outside the pocket. You have Aaron Rodgers himself, who does not remind me of peak Aaron Rodgers. I don't really think he should be in in the conversation very much. I don't think that you can make the same analytical case, and he has been surrounded by a lot better protection and stuff than a lot of these other quarterbacks. You have Deshaun Watson, you have Dak Prescott. And they all kind of come with like their own quirks and their own like oddities to their game. They're really difficult to parse with just like looking at production. So I think you do have to kind of like go through the thought process and think subjectively. 
Think about things like the disastrous offensive line that Deshaun Watson has to put up with. Think about the things like Kirk Cousins' protection, which has actually been middle of the road this year. So let's look at like how Kirk Cousins has been successful and then let's kind of decide, you know, how much of that lends itself to like an MVP conversation. And, and the first things that come to your mind are kind of points against him which are that so much of the Vikings production this year has have come on screens and rollouts. And we've kind of been documenting this throughout the year. You know, the more often that they call screens and play action and and things that typically help the quarterback, uh, the more successful that they have been. And I mean, that's not rocket science, right? Play action is good for quarterbacks. And in the abstract, it's not something that I would ever complain about, right? Like, yay, they're calling play action and it's making the quarterback better. And the fact that that means that the quarterback would be worse if you were calling less play or yeah, if you were calling less play action isn't really a detraction from him when we're just talking about like predicting whether or not the Vikings are going to win or lose their future games. But when you're talking about MVP and that, you know, the V and that the value that does kind of detract from it, right? Because he's being put in a situation where he is going to be inflated and perhaps other quarterbacks aren't. And Russell Wilson is the one that comes to mind. He has had horrendous protection issues. His play calling has been way inferior to what the Vikings have had, at least in my opinion, not to mention he's had receivers with, with drops issues, although I don't think that's too much more of a point uh, on him versus Kirk Cousins because, you know, he's had to go a month without Adam Thielen. He's been targeting guys like Laquan Treadwell and Josh Doxson's getting snaps. But on the whole, if you watch all the Seahawks games and you watch all the Vikings games, you know, you'll see one team where things are generally working on schedule and one team where the quarterback kind of has to pull rabbits out of hats. And so perhaps that's why you're not seeing Kirk Cousins until just recently, even though he's been leading in all of those statistical categories pretty much all season. Even at the lowest points of the season, he was like very high in all of those categories, which kind of shows how they're a little bit predictive. They called the turnaround. But from like a subjective perspective, it doesn't feel like he is, you know, willing his team to victory in the same way that like Lamar Jackson and, and, and Russell Wilson have been. And maybe there's something to be said for rushing. You could perhaps measure that with like time to throw or something. You know, are they having their time to scramble? You know, are they having to scramble around and run around? And there are lots of places that track that. And you could maybe try to, you know, construct some argument together, like measuring it. But I think on the whole, what's going to stick in the minds of actual MVP voters is that, you know, they see play like uh, Russell Wilson's throw to Tyler Lockett on, I think it was Thursday night football against the Rams. You know, the one I'm talking about, that crazy one in the back of the end zone. And then you see some of Kirk Cousins' touchdowns like the Kyle Rudolph one last week. Wide open guy, nobody in front of him. It wasn't like a particularly difficult pass. It wasn't an easy one. He did have to kind of fit it over a linebacker that was lurking, trying to bat it down. But nonetheless, you can still kind of see a difference there that might lead to Kirk Cousins not necessarily getting as much talk in the MVP conversation as some of these other guys. And again, there's nothing inherently wrong with that when it comes to the actual important thing, which is winning games, because the offensive coordinator can just keep calling good plays and guys on offense can just keep executing around him. But when you're talking about an MVP conversation, you do kind of have to split those hairs. However, I kind of think it's wrong, and it was specifically with rollouts. I don't think it's necessarily correct to just, like, throw all the rollout production out because, ah, you know, anybody can get it, can can be successful on a rollout when they have all the time in the world. Because I don't actually know if that's true. I think that can still be a differentiating factor. And a lot of players, oh, and this is not unique to 2019, Kirk Cousins is one of the best play-action fakers, if not the best play-action faker in, in football. And there's a lot of defender, Jalen Ramsey has said it, uh, a lot of data backs it up. That's, like, not even really an, an arguable take. It's something that most people agree on that have looked into this. 
And so perhaps there's something to be said that like, yeah, his play action game is working very well and the team is calling it for him very well because it's what he does best and just happens to be that what he does best is also something that just like is advantageous in general. But knocking him too much for like being in an advantageous situation seems kind of backwards because if he can, you know, make more out of it than other quarterbacks can, then that's still is a point in his column in terms of this like nebulous quote-unquote value. But before we get into too many of those specifics, Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash locked on and use the promo code locked on during checkout. One word, locked on. Listening on the go, if you can't visit Away right now, you can find this and all the other offers we talk about here from locked on sponsors at lockedonpodcasts.com slash offers. So value in terms of like the most valuable player is such a weird and nebulous term that I think we just have to talk about like what even the parameters are. But I think value can be added in a bunch of ways, right? Guys like Tom Brady that or Peyton Manning that would win it all the time aren't adding the same kind of value as somebody like Lamar Jackson is right now, and they all have their merit. So perhaps there is an argument to be made for somebody like Lamar Jackson, who is the identity of the offense, and the offense cannot run the way that it runs without Lamar Jackson in it. Whereas, you know, somebody like Kirk Cousins, there's a lot of quarterbacks that can execute this Shanahan-style scheme. We're watching guys like Jimmy Garoppolo do it. They're even having Aaron Rodgers do it a little bit. Matt LaFleur is from that same coaching tree. Now, at least statistically, Cousins outplaying both of those guys, but the point is it's not nearly as unique of a skill set, but unique doesn't necessarily translate to good, right? And for Lamar Jackson, it has been incredible, and it's been working a ton. But are we using value as kind of a synonym for quality, or are we talking about replaceability? Because right now, Lamar Jackson would probably be the most difficult player in football to replace. Not only is he very good at what he does, but there aren't even other people like in that same category. There's even a more extreme example here of like Kyle Juszczyk, right? There is nobody else in the league that can do what Kyle Juszczyk does. You got to start, you know, lining up a tight end at H-back or something to get what you get, what Kyle Shanahan gets from Kyle Juszczyk. But that doesn't mean he's the most valuable player, right? He's just like one of the most unique or somebody even like Taysom Hill. There's not a lot of players out there that can be what Taysom Hill is for the Saints, but he's of course not the most valuable player. He's just the most unique. I think Lamar Jackson is in the conversation because he straddles that line between unique and irreplaceable, but also, like, very good. And, of course, he's a quarterback, and the MVP is these days is really just the most valuable quarterback. Which, if this is objectively measuring value, I think that's probably correct, right? You're very rarely going to see other players who are outvaluing the quarterback, even on their own team, regardless of if that quarterback is good. The quarterback is, of course, the most important player. Nobody disputes this. So one of the reasons I even chose this topic in the first place was because there was actually a PFF article that came out, and they split their quarterback grading and their quarterback like data tracking into a bajillion different categories, from things like first and second down and kind of the classic splits you would always see, but to stuff like, who's the best quarterback on rollouts? Spoiler, I think you know the answer to that. Who throws the best slant? You know, who is the best on specifically third and long and stuff like that. And they posted an article with like 30 or 40 of these superlatives of like, who is the best quarterback at all of these things. Cousins shows up in five different spots on that list, which is pretty awesome. And so I kind of want to just go over that because if we're talking about like value added and in terms of most valuable, these are situations in which, at least in PFF's opinion, 
Kirk Cousins is the most valuable, and I find it really hard to argue with any of them considering what I've seen this season. I think this article does a really fun job of like encapsulating uh, Cousins' season by just like pointing out some of the things that have led to all of this like insane efficiency. And the first one is he is the best, most efficient quarterback on crossers. Now, a crosser uh, can be a, a number of depths. You can have a shallow crosser or a deep cross, which is sometimes called like an over, but the basic idea is that you start on one side of the formation and you work your way across it as you run your route, hence crosser. And these have been absolutely lethal for the Vikings, as I'm sure you are familiar with. Now, Cousins has something like 2,500-ish years uh, yards on the, on the season so far, and 649 of them have come on crossers, including a ton of, like, really explosive plays. If you remember the opening touchdown, opening uh, drive touchdown to Adam Thielen on the, in the, the Raiders game, that was a crosser. There have been some plays, some, like, really big uh, third down conversions that have come on crossers. A lot of those, like, rollout uh, deep shot plays some of them are posts, some of them are crossers, uh, it kind of actually depends. Sometimes you actually run a post and a crosser, and uh, that will actually put the safety in conflict. It's a concept that the Vikings have used a ton this season and to great success, and and oftentimes the safety will take the post because it will be the deeper of those two routes, and then Cousins has a crosser wide open. He's gotten Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs a ton of times on that. Sometimes that's Irv Smith. Uh, a lot of guys have actually feasted on that concept. He is 34 of 38 on those routes, and they are responsible for a remarkable portion of his very good season. Moving on, another one that uh, PFF called Kirk Cousins the best at was targeting receivers who lined up out wide, which seems like a pretty good thing to be the best at. That's a very traditional way to go beat defenses, and so seeing that that happens is uh, fairly encouraging. And of course, Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen have a huge role in this. They are typically the outside receivers, although it's been BC Johnson sometimes. Sometimes it's even been guys like uh, you know Irv Smith lining up out wide. Uh, a real staple concept has been the blaze-out route. This is something that Diggs and Thielen have been f- just absolutely torching guys on since like 2015. Teddy was uh, uh, feasted on this. It even worked for like Sam Bradford and Case Keenum and Kirk Cousins has been no different. And a blaze out is basically just a deep out route. It's like a 10 to 15 yards and then you just cut toward the sideline. Uh, but I think the most, the, the determining factor is that it's not a perfect 90 degree angle. You kind of angle your route stem inward a little bit. And the idea is that if the cornerback sees that, they are also going to start to like turn their leverage inside a little bit because oftentimes routes that start that way turn into say crossers like the last one or something like a curl or something like a post. You know, you're kind of trying to uh, cheat inside and get some extra distance inside. Uh, A cornerback will read that and then play technique as if you're going to run one of those routes. And so then if you can cut from that slightly inside angle all the way toward the sideline, it's like an acute angle cut. So it's a much more difficult cut, but it's something that Diggs and Thielen never have any problem with. And they just like destroy corners on this because they can always get those hips turned around. I I think that's actually dried up a little bit in the last couple of games. I think corners are kind of onto their game a little bit. Uh, But if, you know, corners start playing for that blaze out, then you can start kind of just having them cut inside on the crosser instead and, and just like make the cornerback wrong no matter what he does. Similarly to uh, the crosser point uh, and to some of the stuff I've been talking about all this whole episode, uh, PFF calls Cousins the best play-action quarterback. Uh, Again, I don't think a lot of people would argue with that, including like the people that play against Kirk Cousins and have to read that fake say that that fake is particularly hard to read. 
and there's a lot that goes into that and people have actually asked cousins about this and it's a lot about just being performative you know turning around the right way making sure that the way that you hand off and the way that you fake play action are exactly the same thing and it's pretty cool to see that being like a sustainable advantage that he has and so on play action plays 1052 of his yards have come that's like approaching half and 12 of his touchdowns have come from play action and like I said earlier, I don't think that you should treat those as, oh, okay, those were the yards that were free and the rest were the ones he actually earned. No, I do think that, that the play-action success is, is somewhat earned by Kirk Cousins just by nature of the fact that he is particularly good at that thing. But I don't think that you should discount the fact that, yeah, play-action makes his job a little bit easier and he has been play-action on a, a lot of attempts. And in a similar vein, uh, PFF actually boiled it down to specifically rollouts and also had Kirk Cousins on top of that category. 445 of his yards have come from rollouts and seven of those touchdowns have come from rollouts. It's been just an absolutely lethal part of the Vikings game and it's something that defenses have had a really difficult time committing to because to commit to the rollout means to kind of give up a lot of space to Dalvin Cook and I think a lot of defensive coordinators are afraid to do that. The only two teams I've seen really commit to that have been the Packers and Raiders back in September and it worked out for the Packers and then they adjusted for the Raiders and I think everybody sees what happens to the Raiders and they get scared off of it. So again, the designed rollouts, the play action, the crossers, that all kind of implies the same thing and a lot of big plays that have come off of that. And suffice it to say that Kirk Cousins, very good on those concepts. Let's keep calling them all the time, please. And uh, the last one, I saved this for last because it's one that really boggles my mind because it is a very, very strong departure from something that I thought held the team back last year. And I think if you want to point to one reason for offensive improvement that is like squarely on the shoulders of Kirk Cousins, it's this. So PFF actually tracks whether or not you were on your first read or your next read and it's usually pretty easy to see where they were looking and if they were like moving through a progression and if you understand you know the basics of whichever offense you're watching you'll kind of know which guy's first which guy's second most of the time for example in a Shanahan system you typically read short to long especially on rollouts because you know you don't want to default to a deep pass where rolling out can cause weird footwork issues and then cause inaccuracies that's the way that Mike Shanahan designed it way back in the day that's the way that Kubiak runs it the way Kyle Shanahan runs it etc meanwhile like North Turner wants you to read long to short because there's fewer weird footwork situations and he wants you to take the deep shot if it's there kind of a matter of preference but either way, PFF actually tracks uh, if you were on your first read or your next read. And on next read throws, they called Kirk Cousins the best quarterback in the league. And that's something that Kirk Cousins would not do very much in 2018. Now, I don't have these numbers for 2019 right now because they don't get published until after the season, at which point we'll definitely go over it because I'm fascinated by this. But in 2018, he threw his first read 71% of the time. And that was really, really high. That essentially means that he was taking the first read most of the plays. He was saying, all right, first read was there and I'm throwing it. And it was complete a ton and it got like no production. I think it had an EPA of on average 0.03 uh, expected points added. That is abysmal. Um, and, and so what like the, the picture that paints is one that I think really describes, you know, the 2018, 2018 season very well. You would have Kirk Cousins trying to get the ball out of his hands quickly. He would throw to his first read that first three 
that first read would basically be covered, even though he probably saw, hey, I can get a completion on this. Great, I'm throwing the ball. The guy would get tackled right away for two yards, and you'd end up with third and eights all the time. That happened a ton. That happened particularly often and noticeably in uh, the, the Week 17 game against the Bears, and it really, I thought, kind of described the futility of that offense very well. And so to say that Cousins is like the most efficient quarterback on his next read and that he's going to his next read enough, I, I think that that's a huge improvement. And that's the one that's the most fascinating to me because all the other stuff we talked about, we already knew that about Kirk Cousins. We know he's a good play-action quarterback. We know he can do the rollout thing. He had his best days uh, when, he, when Sean McVay was his coordinator, who was a guy who came in, came up under Mike Shanahan and the Grudens and and that whole same coaching tree that Kubiak is a part of. So, like, the fact that he would thrive in this system is not something that should surprise us very much, but I'm genuinely surprised by that that next read stat. And I'm, I'm really curious to see what the actual, like, volume of it is. Again, that's something that's not published and something I don't have access to, but that's, like, a huge improvement. You know, get him in a scheme that he's, that he is, uh, like much more comfortable in and one that he like typically thrives in and then have that just genuine improvement come and you can see why the offense has uh, really like exploded this season. Now that also kind of brings up an interesting question. I think it's very pertinent to the MVP discussion. You know, is Kirk Cousins a scheme, a scheme or a system quarterback? That's the the phrase, you know, is he a system quarterback? And I don't think so. I think system quarterback implies something that, you know, oh, but he like just cannot function at all outside of like the Shanahan rollout system. The system helps him. And I bet that every quarterback has a system that they would be best in. You know, it'd be very weird if a quarterback were like exactly the same guy, no matter what what scheme they were in. No, I'm sure that some schemes, you know, highlight certain skill sets and and depending on what you're good and bad at, there's probably a scheme that's right for you no matter who you are at quarterback. Uh, But to call him a system quarterback, I, I see a system quarterback as a guy like... Alex Smith, you know, but even Smith, you know, once you got him pushing the ball downfield with Andy Reid, things got a lot better. So maybe somebody like Sam Bradford, somebody who is most comfortable in a West Coast, who doesn't like to push the ball downfield, who, you know, was like very, had a high propensity to like check down and, you know, somebody that if you did try to put him in like an air Coriel, things would kind of like go south. And that's like kind of what happened with Norv Turner and Sam Bradford in 2016 and and how he ended up actually leaving the team because he just like couldn't work with Sam Bradford or maybe because Mike Zimmer punched him in the face, which is my conspiracy theory. But, you know, don't don't say you got it from me. But in comparing him to guys like Dak and and Russell Wilson, you know, Russell Wilson might be one of the few like unicorns of a scheme independent quarterback, mostly because right now his offensive scheme is uh, convert third and long somehow and he just does that. That's why Russell Wilson is my MVP pick personally. Um, but I think putting Kirk Cousins in in the conversation to kind of wrap all this up and conclude it, putting him in the conversation means you have to be okay with the fact that he gets a lot of his uh, yardage off of play action. Um, and I think that there's an argument to be okay with that, but you do kind of have to go to that process through that thought process and like come to terms with the fact that he's getting more help with from play action than everybody else is, and that he has two amazing outside wide receivers in Diggs and Thielen, at least he had for most of the year, and he should be hopefully getting back after the bye. We'll keep an eye on that. And you have to discount a lot of the interesting and unique things that guys like Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson can offer. So I don't think he's going to win MVP. I don't think, I think that if nothing else, you know, the guys voting on this kind of have a prior 
and a preconceived bias. And while I don't think it's fair to like take away from Kirk Cousins for any of these things, like being in the right scheme fit and stuff, it is something that other quarterbacks, it's like an advantage that other quarterbacks don't have. So they probably do get the leg up in this particular conversation over him. But on the whole, the fact that we're even having this conversation is a very good thing. And Kirk Cousins is having a really good year. Even after opponent adjusting and doing all the things that you're supposed to do with stats, he is a, a front runner in the league for the title of like some of the best play analytically in the league right now. That's really dope, MVP or no. So that is going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Vikings. I will see you all tomorrow. Until then, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. The show's available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, or you can simply ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. I will see you all tomorrow, and as always, skull. Hey, sports fans. My name's Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked on Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked on NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer, to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked On Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked On Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.